When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and thank you, as always, for tuning into another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We're going to have a great show tonight. Uh, With me in just a moment will be Jennifer Tejada, and Jennifer is the CEO of PagerDuty, which is a technology company that collects data from their customers and provides real-time solutions uh, for their issues. Before we get started with Jennifer, I just want to remind you to stay with us during the commercial breaks where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors, bringing you all kinds of great information uh, about your health, finance, technology, leadership, and diversity. And if you'd like to subscribe to our newsletter to stay in the loop and and get the podcast, you can do so by visiting us at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And as always, please reach out and stay connected with us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Women to Watch as well. So now I'd like to welcome to the show Jennifer, Jennifer Tejada, the CEO of Page Your Duty. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Susan. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Are you um, calling from Minnesota? I am not in Minnesota today. I'm in our office in San Francisco. San Francisco. Okay. Um, Ironically, I I had uh, another woman this week who grew up in Minnesota. It is the land of good genes, I think, and (laughs) a very strong work ethic from what I can remember. I guess, yes. And nice people. Good, good people. Yeah, very nice people. There's a lot of Minnesota nice in our culture here. Yes, I, I believe it to be so. I wanted to start a little bit with your background growing up. And um, from what I've read, I understand your your dad was a huge influence on you and your siblings. And I wonder if you can just tell the listeners a little bit about um, how he stressed the importance of contributing to society and kind of giving back to the community. 
both my parents were a huge influence on us. My my mom, who was a stay-at-home mother, who was essentially a taxi driver and uh, both enabled and empowered and supported us each pursuing different passions and trying different things, experimenting with a lot of different extracurricular activities while staying focused on academics and uh, being active uh, contributors in the classroom. Mm -hmm. My dad was uh, a CEO by the end of his career, uh, but started out in uh, as a Vietnam vet in HR and in healthcare and gradually um, moving up in leadership roles to, to take over uh, leadership of a number of healthcare organizations. And when, when you run a hospital in a small to medium-sized community, you're not just leading a business. You, you have the, the accountability and the responsibility to deliver care to all the members of that community. And it really leads to a high degree of social responsibility and impact. Well, before we were talking about social impact as being part of the corporate uh, mantra, right. the corporate yeah. set of responsibilities that, that we all see today as CEOs. Mm. And his view was you don't have to have money or wealth um, or certain gifts to give back, but you still expected to contribute uh, as, a, as an equal member of a community and certainly to help those who are less fortunate or less well positioned uh, for opportunity than you are. And so from a very, very early age, I mean, I think I was four when I participated in my first bike-a-thon or jump rope for health for the American Heart Association or um, jail lockups where you would have to get people to pay 15, 20 bucks to raise enough money to be let out of quote unquote jail, which was in the, the, the little strip mall in the center of town. Wow. Um, wow. And it started with investing our time or um, leveraging our networks and our resources to over time, my parents really setting the expectation that any gift that you have, whether it's you're good at a certain uh, musical instrument and you can go walk into a, a, a senior home or an assisted living center and play Christmas carols during the holidays, or you're good at math and you can help with bookkeeping in a nonprofit or a homeless shelter. It's it's not a choice. It's not something nice to do. It's not something you do to feel good. It's what you do because you are an important member of that community and it's expected of you. Mm. And so I grew up with that sense of responsibility. And there were times in my career where I thought, maybe I should leave this for-profit stuff and go do something that has a higher order meaning where I could really contribute. And a CEO sat me down at one point in time in my career when I was thinking about that and said, you're not thinking about it right. Think about how much you can scale your impact if you can build a great business That's that right. can power a community mm. to give back, to power yeah. the employee base, your partners, your customers. And, That's right. And that really has formed the way I think about social impact and social responsibility at work today. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective because I think it's true that whether you're a nonprofit or for-profit, um, you're still helping the community. Yes, and he also talked me out of quitting my job, which I think probably would have been a bad idea. <laughs> so uh, did you actually do a 50-mile bike-a-thon at eight years old to raise money for the American Diabetes Association? I'm pretty sure all my, my youngest sibling was too small, but I'm pretty sure the rest of us all did. That's incredible. Yeah, they, that says a lot about <laughs> they you. They were grueling. Wow. And when, um, well, it says a lot about my parents. I mean, there was no whining and no excuses. You just sucked it up and kept pedaling. <laughs> 
Um, and tell me about your high school years. What kind of activities were you involved in? Were you an athlete? I know you played golf at the University of Michigan. Uh, did that start? Yes, I I was kind of an all-rounder. I'm the master. I'm a jack of all trades, master at none. Uh, so in high school, we moved. When I was in high school, I spent my freshman year uh, in Alton, Illinois, and I spent my sophomore through senior year in Jackson, Michigan. And I participated in everything from theater and debate to golf, tennis, and a number of other sports. I uh, was involved in student government. Uh, and so I liked trying lots of different things. And I hung out with lots of different groups of people as a, as a result. So when I left high school, I sort of felt like I knew what I liked and what I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always been a very active outdoor person. I've never liked to um, uh, gain fitness by being in a gym. I like to be doing something for a reason where there's, there's a score or there's the opportunity to win or, you know, there's an end in sight. Uh, and so sports has always been an important part of, part of my life. Yeah. I, I'm curious to know if, if sports as well kind of gave you that confidence. I, I have a quote here. You said, throughout my career, there's been one underlying force that has helped me strengthen my resolve, a core belief in myself. And to me, that is, you know, always the key, particularly for, for young women and women, before we can do anything else successfully um, in our profession. Where did that develop in you, that, that belief in yourself? I have to credit my parents again, uh, and it's not just sports. My I played the violin from a young age and sang in choir and chorus, and our parents were always pushing up, pushing us to stand on our own two feet and um, try things, take risks in a measured way, but take risks. And if you fall on your face and it doesn't go well, we weren't allowed to quit. You go back and you do it again. And I, the only thing my parents ever let me quit was ballet because I think everybody agreed I was not good at it. But they made <laughs> me take two years of it before we got to that point. It had yeah. to be clear that this this was not going anywhere for anybody, <laughs> the poor teacher who had to put up with my two left feet. Um, and, and that really instilled this sensibility in all of us that you can be anything you want to be. No one's going to hold you back. Life might not be fair, but at the end of the day, you're in control of your destiny. And it's going to come down to how hard you're willing to work, how resilient you are. And I'm sure we didn't use that word back then. We probably said how tough you are if you have a stiff upper lip and broad shoulders and thick skin and, you know, whatnot. But but it's really up to you. And that sense of um, independence and responsibility still runs very strong in me. And it allowed me to try things later in life than a lot of kids do. So I didn't really start golfing until freshman year of high school. I didn't get competitive until my sophomore year. It's a complete fluke that I had an opportunity to play with the team at Michigan for a period of time. And so I, I think it was really that that willingness to try new things late and not feel like I had to be great at everything, mm-hmm. that it was more about gaining enough experience to know where your passion lies and where your interests are. Yeah. And also yeah. the diversification. I worry a lot. I have a 14-year-old daughter myself, and uh, my husband and I, we talk a lot about how children are being single-streamed into a, a, a single activity, not even a single sport, but one sport versus multi-sports and one sport versus sports and music and academics, et cetera. And, you know, as a result, what researcher te- researchers are telling us is that um, children are seeing repetitive motion injuries in their uh, high school years that they used to see as college or pro athletes. 
Um, children are dropping out of sports uh, late in their careers, in their academic or athletic careers, because they're burnt out. And in our family, we all played a different sport every season. And we went to like the local public school. So that wasn't a problem. No one was, no one was giving us scholarships for 10th grade because we were phenomenal at anything. <laughs> and as a result, like you kind of learned the different team dynamics. It wasn't like you were playing with the same 13 kids for seven years. You, right. You're, there were always kids on the team that didn't like you or you didn't like them. There were always people who were better than you. There were top coaches. There were coaches that would go easy on you. And the only way you would advance is if you push yourself and, and took your own initiative. And I, I think um, even some of my violin teachers were pretty scary um, folks in terms of <laughs> how hard driving they were. And, yeah. and they didn't care that I had other things going on. They expected me to practice as much as, uh, a child who was working towards being a concert violinist, right? So this kind of no excuses environment, I think, was very formative for me. But the openness and, and willingness on the part of our parents for us to try things and, frankly, um, the sacrifice. I don't think we talk enough about what our parents sacrifice to expose us as children to, to different opportunities. Um, I'm sure my mom would have loved to have a career. And probably would have preferred not to be driving all of us from one place to the next constantly right. and nagging us to practice and load the dishwasher, et cetera. But, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a good person <laughs> as a result of all of that. That's excellent. Listen, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about your daughter and, and what kind of lessons you're you know, looking to instill into her. Uh, stay with us for Dawn's Ear of Nutrisystem for our CEO Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch, CEO Watch. Hi, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier here with today's CEO Watch. Today, I want to talk about something that is becoming increasingly important to shareholders, board members, executives, and employees alike, the double bottom line. For ages, company had a singular focus when it came to their organizations, the numbers. However, today we're seeing more and more companies focus not just on profitability, but also social responsibility. It's not just about the end number, it's also about the why and the how. These conversations cover a wide range of topics, corporate give back, sustainability, and eco-friendly for starters, and should be happening at the leadership level and in the boardroom. In 2018, Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, wrote in a public letter, to prosper over time, every company must not only deliver financial performance, but also show how it makes a positive contribution to society. So how does corporate social responsibility impact your company? For starters, according to Globescan survey, 40% of consumers seek purposeful brands and trust in brands to act in the best interest of society. By your organization having a socially responsible mission and investing in and giving back to its community, you're potentially attracting new customers that you may not have had previously. Also, it's a known fact that millennials are known as a generation to care. As they begin to age in and become the majority of the workforce and consumers, it's becoming increasingly apparent that corporate social responsibility is more important than ever. In a study by Horizon Media's Finger on the Pulse, 81% of millennials expect companies to make a public commitment to good corporate citizenship. 
By being a socially responsible organization, not only will you attract new consumers, you'll be putting yourself above the competition by attracting and retaining top-level talent. In focusing on Give Back, remember that you can't just pick any random initiative, donate to it, and call yourself socially responsible. Take the time to truly find or create an initiative that strongly aligns with your values as a company. The two need to go hand in hand. Activity Health, we walk the talk. I'm proud of our commitment to the double bottom line. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Dawn Zier, here for CEO Watch. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. I'm speaking with Jennifer Tejada this evening, CEO of PagerDuty, which is, and I hope I'm kind of, you know, explaining it properly, a technology company that collects data, I'm simplifying it, uh, from customers to provide real-time solutions. Is that a decent description of of PagerDuty? Yes, what I would add to that is we use, machine-based data, so we collect signals from anything that's software-enabled okay. to help teams respond to unexpected issues or opportunities. And okay. we automate the orchestration of teamwork in, in the moments that count in a business. Okay. So, first of all, right before the break, I mentioned your daughter. I just wondered if you could um, talk a little bit about what you, obviously, the role you have as a leadership position and, and what kind of example do you think you're setting for her uh, particularly in a in a culture where we're talking so much about girls empowerment and women's empowerment and and the fields of STEM. Well, Samantha is fourteen, uh, but since she was basically six months, she's been traveling with me for work. She's been coming into the office on no school days. She's been joining me at conferences where either I'm speaking or I think inspiring people are speaking that. Uh, she should learn from and hear from. And so she's, her life's been very integrated into my life and my husband's career as well. Mm-hmm. And I think we've always, we've always worked to set examples around basic fundamentals. One, that nothing good comes without hard work. And that two, you really are a product of the people you surround yourself by. And that means that you need to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you, people who are better than you, people who will challenge you, not just people who will encourage you and support you. Uh, And yes, we all need a cheerleader. We all need support. But I think, you know, my sporting background again, I always felt like I played better when I played with athletes who were better than me. You played up. And likewise, if you play with athletes that are less progressed in in the game or uh, their own athletic experience, it, it can drag you down. And so my, my goal has been to always be brave enough to surround myself with, with phenomenally good people who, who could um, replace me if needed at any given moment. And I think that's a, a mistake a lot of leaders make. 
for Samantha, I also want her to see that it's possible uh, to succeed in something if you're willing to work for it and set a path for yourself, but that no one's going to uh, empower you. You need to empower yourself and that it's not about asking for permission or waiting to be asked. It's about taking the lead and sometimes asking for forgiveness. I also want her to see that no matter what level you are in an organization or on a team or um, within a business, you can have a massive contribution to the people around you, to your customers, to the community you live in, uh, that, that title doesn't give you the authority to make the biggest contribution. You yourself determine what your contribution will look like by, by looking around and finding the work that needs to be done and, and finding a fit for the skills that you have. Mm. Um, and, you know, on the flip side, Samantha's been a phenomenal reverse mentor to me. Like she, she calls me on my stuff when I'm uh, not being down to earth or when I'm too busy or I'm not present in a conversation. She's the first person to sort of put your phone down, mom. <laughs> oh, she, yeah. she's the kid that takes all the phones and puts them in a sack uh, at the dinner table so oh. that we, we all talk to each other. Yeah. Um, she recently was trying to explain to me how I could improve my uh, social media profiles and what I need to do differently <laughs> and um, and also pointed out some people who she thought did a much better job at it than I could aspire, <laughs> aspire to be like. Yeah. Um, and she'll remind me, like, when I convince myself that, like, I'm kind of, I've got the, the life work integration thing going pretty well, she'll say, Mom, you know, you haven't cooked me dinner in a month and a half. <laughs> I mean, she knows she's not starving. But, right. Well, she's 14, she's probably, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which then turns into, why can't you cook dinner? Right. You know, it's summer. You have more time than I do. How about you cook dinner and I'll meet you at home? <laughs> there you go. Well, by 14, she probably, you're seeing in her an interest in a direction one way or another. What, where... She's a little bit of an old soul. I think she sees herself as being somebody who might one day be a leader, but I think she's pretty open-minded about what that could look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's really engaged in lacrosse and water polo right now. She's a very committed student. She's not a, a Those are tough of being sports. academic. And yeah, yeah she, she's a tough kid. And um, she likes to travel. She really enjoys seeing the world. I think she's, she's sort of been poking at us to make sure our trips are adventurous, not just relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> It's no lying know, on the beach, right? I, I need I need no more adventure in my life. But you know, see, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do what the family um, feels like they can grow from together. Right. So if that means whitewater rafting or cannoning or double black skiing, like okay, I'm, yeah. I'm in. Keep it exciting. Uh, this, yeah. We're going to go into another break. When we come back, I want to talk about your transition from Procter Gamble into the tech industry. If you're joining us, I'm talking to Jennifer Tejada, CEO of Pager Duty. We'll be right back. Stay with us for your health watch and your finance watch. Now, the women to watch health watch. For health watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. The Center for Disease Control reports an ongoing outbreak of hepatitis A in 27 states, including Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Hepatitis or inflammation damage of the liver can result from heavy alcohol use some medicines, but in the U.S., most often hepatitis B or C. Hepatitis A is found around the world, but since the vaccine in 1996, rates have decreased in the U.S. by 95 percent. 
The hepatitis A virus is passed in bowel movements. If infected people don't wash their hands after the bathroom, they can spread the virus when they touch food, water, or in close contact during sex or when caring for someone who's ill. A food handler can spread hepatitis A to food they prepare. Contamination of food or water, more likely in countries where hepatitis A is common and where sanitation and hygiene are poor. In the U.S., chlorination kills the virus in our water supply. Outbreaks here in 2013 from pomegranates, 2016 from frozen scallops in Hawaii, frozen strawberries in multiple states. But our current outbreak spreads person to person. The CDC recommends the hepatitis vaccine for all children at age one and people at greater risk. That's travelers to countries where hepatitis A is common, men who have sex with other men, users of drugs, injected or not, people experiencing homelessness because of crowded conditions and poor hygiene, people with chronic liver disease, or people in contact with hep A. Symptoms are flu-like, fever, nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, jaundice, dark urine, joint pain, weeks to months, but usually complete recovery without chronic liver damage. In rare cases, hepatitis A can cause liver failure, even death more commonly in people over 50 and people with other liver disease. So divas, wash your hands after the bathroom when changing a diaper, before preparing or eating food. Get the vaccine. Show your liver some love. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. The Women to Watch Finance Watch. Good evening. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. And we're from Fortis Wealth. As part of our risk management review at Fortis, we help our clients evaluate their property and casualty insurance. These policies help protect the stuff you own and provide liability coverage to help protect you and your assets if you're found legally responsible for an accident that causes injuries to another person or damage to another person's belongings. Here are some items that we discuss. Is your homeowner's insurance adequate? Insurance industry data reveals that approximately 64% of homeowners are underinsured. The cost of reconstruction can be up to 30% more than it is to build a new house. Having an inventory of your personal possessions can be worth the time, especially if you file a claim. Your jewelry, silverware, and collectibles should be appraised every three to five years to keep pace with rising costs. Consider full tort coverage to better protect your family when injured in an auto accident. Our PNC specialist also recommends that your health and life insurance be coordinated with your auto policy medical benefits. If you have substantial assets and or earnings, consider an umbrella or excess liability policy to protect current and future assets in case of a lawsuit. Don't underestimate your potential liability. The more you have, the more attractive you are as a target. Multi-million dollar judgments have become increasingly common. And don't forget about FIDO. 
According to the Insurance Information Institute, dog bite claims account for more than one-third of all homeowners' insurance liability claims. You may need other specialized coverage if you own boats and other sports vehicles, if you're a landlord, or if you serve on a volunteer board. And consider these other risk factors. You have children who drive, you have a swimming pool, you employ a housekeeper, you entertain at your home, you or your family members blog, tweet, and or post comments or photos online. As always, consult with a trusted advisor with expertise in the fine print of these policies. Know what your risks are and how much you are exposed. Price is not the only consideration. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Jennifer, I understand uh, right out of college you landed a job with uh, Procter & Gamble. And tell me how you how you did that because that's a, a good company, a big company that a lot of kids would want to work for. Sure. Well, they found me. On campus, they uh, back then in the early 90s, they had a strong on-campus recruiting program where they would look for students who had already demonstrated some propensity for leadership, and they would invite you uh, to come to a kind of a discovery interview. Mm-hmm. And so I was invited by P&G, and, and frankly, I didn't know much about the company. It took the interview because I thought it might be good practice, and it was really the first um, job interview I had uh, as a as a senior, trying to figure out what I was going to do, and I was very struck by the depth of quality of people that I met in that process. And the you know the first interview you meet sort of one person, and they follow it up with usually an event on campus, and you meet, meet maybe ten fifteen people, and and then if if it's a mutual fit, then you go on and and have a few more conversations with different folks across the business and, and gradually get to more senior people. And then they would go away as a panel and make a decision as to whether or not to give you an offer. And I just kept thinking like, there has to be someone in this organization who's not likable, who isn't admirable, who wasn't both a phenomenal student, athlete, musician, you know, artist, who's now not a great leader, manager. And they're all like the quality of people is just very high and very consistent. Mm. And the culture at the time, I wouldn't have known to call it culture. I just thought like, all these people are really nice and down to earth and they seem like they're honest. Uh, you know, now we talk about uh, a culture of respect and integrity and inclusion, et cetera. And I saw all of that. Um, in fact, one of the things that is maybe now more uh, poignant to me than it probably was then. Was I met a number number of women in that process, and uh, I just I could see myself uh, in and amongst these people, and so that's what drew me to the company initially. I had no idea what they did, and and back then you couldn't just Google while you were waiting. You actually had to go to the library and pull microfiche <laughs> card to, catalog. To, yep. Exactly to yep. research a company. It was a little bit harder, and. Um, and, and I, you know, I got behind their mission pretty quickly, but it started with the people. Okay. Well, that's interesting because I, I, um, I noticed here that as a company, PagerDuty has received several best places to work recognitions. And I wanted to ask you, what's the culture like at PagerDuty? Well, we're, we're very proud of the recognition that we've received, but we're more proud of the culture that we're developing and the fact that, like, it's not a finished product. You're always trying to grow and evolve your culture around a central set of values, I think. And in our case, um, we have five core values. They're champion the customer, run together, um, bring yourself 
um, take the lead and act and own. Act, act is a developer word that means I acknowledge uh, that you've asked me to do something. So it's really about accountability. Mm. Um, but when you look across those five values, you know, one, it's very clear who PagerDuty exists for, and that's our customer. Um, two, like we, we don't believe that we've ever truly won. We're constantly trying to disrupt ourselves. We have sort of a no limits mentality, but we will not do that uh, at all costs. We, we want people to be able to bring their entire authentic self to work. And equally, I want our team to feel a sense of accountability to ensure that the person next to them or the person in a video conference also feels like they can bring themselves to work. So it's kind of a two-way street. Um, it, we don't think that the market's just going to come to us. So there's a lot of initiative taking and a discussion around what it means to be a leader. Uh, Patriot is a very humble uh, high humility and high EQ company, partially as the result of our three founders being Canadian and maybe our CEO being Minnesota nice. And so sometimes, <laughs> yeah, that's... sometimes I have to remind the company that, you know, we did fill the category. We are the leaders in that category. And not only are there expectations, but there are responsibilities that come with leadership. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's hard to balance when you're really humble and collaborative and customer centric. And so for us, culture is about uh, not only do we attract uh, a diverse, um, rich tapestry of people to come uh, work at PagerDuty and build their careers at PagerDuty, but do they feel when they get here that they have as good a shot as, as anybody to kill it in their career? Do mm. they feel like this is a place that's as invested in them as they are in us? And do they feel like they're surrounded by people who want them to be successful? And I sort of would package all that up in saying it's really about inclusive leadership. It's not enough to be the best and win. It's about the way you win and it's about who you win on behalf of. And I'm very proud that I think the whole team at PagerDuty, we call ourselves Dutonians. I'm, I'm very proud that all of the Dutonians, I think, feel strongly about this, that that they're, they feel fortunate for the opportunity they've had here and they want others to, to see that same opportunity, even if Others may not look like them or come from a similar background or have a similar education, uh, et cetera. And, and that's a big part of, of who we are, but it's also a big part of the reason why we've been so successful and, you know, in many cases outperformed uh, a number of other uh, software and service or cloud companies in the market. I'm speaking with uh, the CEO of PagerDuty, if you're just joining us, Jennifer Tejada. And I have I have a quote here, Jennifer. You said that we set a goal early in my tenure to really set the example of how a diverse and inclusive workforce can deliver better performance. My question for you is, and, you know, there's so much talk about diversity and inclusion in, in companies and why it matters. How do you – where do you look, I should say? In other words, how are you proactive – in creating that um, diverse culture and company? How do, what is your recruiting um, process? Sure. Well, I, I would say that we start with inclusion because recruiting is only one part of the equation. I think there's a lot of focus on recruiting in the industry right now because so many companies are trying to change the composition mm-hmm. of their organization. And we certainly have done that in the three years that I've been at PagerDuty where um, it was the vast majority of employees here were male. They had technical degrees. Um, they were largely young. I think I moved the average age in the company four or five years just by coming to work one day. Um, and so, but but inclusiveness or creating a sense of belonging is is 
probably the bigger challenge because you can build pipelines, you can engage diverse individuals to join your company, but you, you need them to feel invested and feel like they're a part of the movement that you're creating. Right. And that's inclusion. That's the sense that I have a voice at the table and mm. it's a voice people want to hear. Right. right. And I don't think we talk about that enough. Yeah. We also have kind of, because we've done a good job, I think, uh, still could do a better job, but done a good job of attracting diverse candidates. I'm also trying to instill in our teams a sensibility around it's our responsibility to create access for those who otherwise might not have access into a wonderful career in the tech industry. Okay. And how you do that is, is by being explicit and intentional. And, in, you know, from a recruiting perspective, it's about bias training, make, making sure final candidate slates are balanced, that interview panels are balanced. From a management perspective, it's making sure that managers are equipped with the skills to seek the lexicon of inclusion, that, that we are open-minded to different kinds of candidates. And it means even um, not anticipating a, a four-year college degree as a bare minimum. We have a number of developers that come through uh, HackBright Academy or Code 2040 and so uh, that don't have, don't have four-year degrees. And so we've also had to change some of the conventional mindset that has existed in the industry in order to be successful. And then finally, it's, it's maybe um, putting yourself in a position where you, you, you might be the most attractive employer or you might um, find, have, find that you have access or can create access to communities that, that others in your sector either won't look hard enough for or um, haven't identified. And so that means going to places like Atlanta or Toronto in our case and um, thinking a little differently about how we choose our next location at the next site. Okay. You know what? We have to take one last break, Jennifer, and uh, we'll continue the conversation in just a moment. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. When my daughters were little, the beginning of the summer activities were many. But as we came into the end of the summer, we'd start to hit a wall. If you're hitting the end of the summer wall and would like to end the summer by engaging your children into activities that'll give their brains a reboot before school starts, I have some fun suggestions. Tinkerlab.com has a great activity gear to any age called Easy Stop Motion Animation for Beginners. With just a few objects, a smartphone or iPad, and a stop motion app, your kids can learn about the technology behind movie making and create a video unique to their own likes and interests. Check out the detailed instructions on their website. ResearchParent.com has an activity that can teach your child the basics of coding. They provide instructions for children as young as kindergarten and provide them with the fundamentals of building code through a fun Lego activity called Coding a Lego Maze. They provide step-by-step instructions broken down into all age levels. 
I love the website, leftbraincraftbrain.com. Out at this site, Anne, who's an ex-engineer and now stay-at-home mom, writes about crafty ways to encourage brain power in children through different STEM and STEAM activities. She makes hundreds of recommendations. You can find them out at the Left Brain Craft Brain website, Pinterest, Facebook, or Instagram. I encourage you to check them out. She's put together an incredible compilation of ideas. With Google at your fingertips, it doesn't take much effort to find some end-of-summer fun activities that can foster a child's interest in technology without forcing technology on them. And with so much future opportunity in technology, getting young minds interested at an early age is key. If you have some fun end-of-summer ideas, email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. probably talk about pager duty and exactly you know what what the company does and and who the clients are and if if you can share you know for our listeners in kind of layman's terms um exactly what pager duty is all about sure thanks for asking uh pager duty is a platform for what we call real-time digital operations management and if you think about it as consumers we all rely on digital services like taking a ride share to work watching TV on demand, slacking our colleagues when we get into the office. And PagerDuty helps all these companies ensure that we as customers get a perfect experience every time. So we're actually sitting in the background in your everyday life behind your favorite app and the biggest brands like The Gap and IBM and some of the biggest disruptors uh, in the market as well, like Bird Scooters and Zoom. What PagerDuty, what makes us unique, I suppose, is that we're built for the user. The person on the front lines of a technology organization, be they a developer or an IT person, uh, and these teams where we replace a mishmash of different systems so that the right people can immediately come together from across the business to prevent and fix problems. And we're quite early in our tenure. While we went public uh, earlier this year, Mm -hmm. we're still a young company, but we have over 11,600 customers. Um, And, uh, you know, we we continue to to grow reasonably quickly and continue to build out uh, more products and services that ensure the customers that we serve can deliver that sort of perfect experience every time. And when something goes wrong, that they find out about it through a machine signal, not an angry customer tweeting, not someone calling their support desk, and they can very quickly address that issue. Frankly, we're moving from helping uh, technology teams respond faster to real-time issues to even preventing them from becoming major issues that a customer would recognize or experience pain from. Are you involved at all in in cybersecurity issues for for your clients, or is that not? We are. Okay. We are. A lot of our customers use us within their security operations centers or what what they call DevSecOps teams, developer security teams. And when they identify a potential data leakage or a potential um, threat, they will kick off an incident response process in PagerDuty and get the right people looking at the right issues at the right time so they can very quickly act. Because as most companies know, it's not about uh, if you'll get hacked, it's when, and it's how quickly you can respond and sort of shut down the infiltration uh, into your organization. Can you tell me, Jennifer, what, you know, you mentioned the, the company going public just this year. How does, how does that affect your job and your role? How did that change things for you? It's a great question. I mean, it's, it's almost um, 
there's almost like a schizophrenia that that you take on. Because on one hand, my job is still the same. I still have to drive company strategy and long-term strategy. I, I'm building vision and influencing where our product goes. I spend a lot of time in the market and with our customer base, with our user community. And I'm still leading the team and, and building out the talent in our organization. So all of that is really the same. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I have a new stakeholder group that's very diversified in our investor community. And that can be um, long holders like mutual funds who are specialists and understand our industry, understand software, and even understand uh, cloud companies as a part of software very well, to generalists like a public investor who wants to understand us and is just going to do an online search. So it's really created a need for me to develop a, a consumable narrative uh, that helps people understand what our company does and why it's been successful and why hopefully it will continue to be successful. It's also It also means I have to get to know the stakeholder community better. So there is time to be invested to get to know the investors, et cetera. And then the last thing I would say, but I think it's just the natural evolution of, of a lasting company is we have to be responsible about complying to the regulatory frameworks um, that that uh, manage and, and regulate our industry. And so there's a lot of work for a small company that's growing fast to put themselves in a position where they're not only compliant, but we're proactive uh, mm-hmm. about ensuring that we're secure, that we're resilient at scale, that we abide by um, the legal environment in, in every region where we work that our employees are well-educated and well-versed. And so that's, that's taken up a little bit of time as well. That's, but a, that's a lot to thing. manage. That's a, <laughs> right. That is a lot to manage as you're speaking. I'm thinking, my gosh, you know, I want to know how you handle the stress of that. So, you know, really having to have your hands on every piece of this company and then having these stakeholders that you have to kind of answer to, I'll ask it this way. What is your philosophy for managing the stress of keeping up with so many moving parts? Sure. I, my philosophy in managing the stress and keeping up with the, the moving parts is, one, to share the big decisions. So I have a phenomenal team, and it's all about how that bench can each, you know, every member of that bench can take ownership and help manage some of these things. So this is not a, a one-person job by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, so building that deep bench strength and leadership, having a really strong board, really built out our board in the last couple of years. So I have a lot of expertise and experience there. Um, so I'm not doing things for the first time with a cold start. Right. And so most importantly, I think um, it's about it's about knowing that we are not going to be perfect. Uh, we are going to get some, some things wrong. I, you know, we as leaders, were sort of spinning plates and one of the plates is going to drop from time to time. Mm-hmm. Just make sure it's not the fine china and know, know which stakeholders are important when. Um, and, and when you do fail, make sure that you learn from it and you don't fail in the same way again, mm-hmm. but more, more to the point that you use it as a learning opportunity. And so uh, it is stressful. There's more, uh, there's more at risk. The stakes are a little bit higher. Uh, the exposure is greater, but with that transparency, also uh, there are benefits, yeah. uh, and and that there's rigor around how well you operate and execute that that I appreciate. Mm. Well, you're doing a, an excellent job. I wish we had more time. I I had a couple other questions for you, but um, that's the end of the show, Jennifer. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing a bit of your own uh, life story. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. 
That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thank you, as always, to our sponsors and contributors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.